Hamza Mukhtarik Tajani's traveled thousands of miles and spent all of his resources, he says, trying to escape the conditions in Darfur. And finally, he found himself in the UK, the place he wanted to call home, the place he thought he would be safe. Then he received some shocking news, official documents from the government. A decision has been taken to relocate me to Rwanda. In April, the UK made a decision to relocate Hamza and potentially thousands of refugees and asylum seekers to Rwanda. The first plane was set to depart Tuesday, June 14th, yesterday. I'm Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. It was not a short trip for Hamza to get to the UK. Yeah, about four years. Four years was just the first part. He left Sudan for Libya and was in Libya for four years. Much of that time detained, he says. When we reached him, he was also detained, which explains the bad phone line. But it was in Libya that Rwanda first came up. All my friends took them to Rwanda from Libya. Many of his friends left Libya for Rwanda. Hamza says that he was given the option too, but he didn't want to go there. Rwanda is not a safe country. Everybody, everybody knows. He was set on Europe. He has family in the UK, he says. And it was hard to find work in Darfur, where he was from. The region was recently at war, and the threat of violence is real. So he kept waiting, and eventually got on a boat to cross the Mediterranean Sea. And I arrived in Malta. He arrived in Malta and was detained again. After Malta, I arrived in Italia. Then Italy, Italia, where he was also detained. After Italia, France. France, again, detained. Any country I passed, they say you enter to this country by illegal way. Maybe three years I was been in prison until now. Finally, in May, he crossed the English Channel, leaving Europe for the UK. Six years after he started his journey, he landed, and again, was brought to a detention center in the UK, where he is now. He says, you're coming by illegal way, you're coming by boat. Everybody, they're coming by boat. If you're an asylum seeker, he says, coming by boat feels like the only way. Hams has been in a lot of detention centers by now, but this one, it's pretty tough, he says. You drink water from the toilet, no Brush for tools, no good food. Depression, too much. It's hard to understand what it's like to feel trapped for so long. To feel like everyone has control of your life but you. After everything he's been through, it may not be surprising that Hamza's been diagnosed with PTSD. But he hopes he can start over in the UK, maybe find a job working on cars, Even though he didn't finish school in Sudan, he studied mechanical engineering at the university and has some skills. But now he's stuck again. The authorities don't allow detainees to have their own phone, so he spoke to us over the detention center line. It wasn't long until he got the letter from the home office, the government department that controls the UK's immigration system, saying he's being sent away to Rwanda. Why is he returning back to Rwanda? 
Why? What I'm do? I don't know Rwanda. What I'm do? They make me crazy if they want to take me to Rwanda. Maybe I'll kill myself. Hamza is not the only one threatening to take his life if they send him to Rwanda. And his wife back in Sudan doesn't know what's going on. In fact, he hasn't spoken to anyone in his family since he got the news. It's too hard. It was hard to end the call. Hamza's right. There's not much he can do. The only good news was that he hadn't been issued an actual plane ticket yet, and others had. So there was still hope, or that's what his lawyer said. We talked to Hamza Friday. The first flight was scheduled to leave two days later. This has never happened before with the UK. Kai Sadiqi is Hamza's lawyer. I'm a supervising solicitor and head of public law at Barnes Harold and Dyer Solicitors. We specialize in immigration, public law and civil liberties. And my expertise is in public law, challenging governmental bodies. And uh, recently, the Rwanda policy. It shook our little community of lawyers to his core. We talked to Kai's Sunday as he was getting ready for court. Kai's also represents several other immigration detainees being forced to leave for Rwanda, some with tickets in hand. The fact that the Home Office are actually thinking of sending someone to a country where they have no connection to whatsoever, that many people can't even point on the map. It's just mind-boggling. I don't know how they have come to that conclusion. No matter how many assurances that someone can give about how they're perceived and received in those countries, there's always going to be that lack of understanding between the asylum seeker and the country itself. The two clients with tickets are both single men and both Iranian. The main focus is on single adult men. There's been a lot of Iranians and Sudanese individuals who are being considered for this removal the 14th of June. As we were speaking with Hamza on Friday, the British High Court was hearing the first challenges to the policy. Another set of lawyers issued proceedings at the High Court. The issue is that there is a policy where individuals that have come to the UK through illegal means, they shouldn't be penalized for it. But unfortunately, that was dismissed. The next day, Monday, Kais was heading to the high court with his own challenges. 31 detainees were still scheduled to leave for Rwanda on Tuesday. The removal is for the 14th of June to Kigali Airport in Rwanda, but it doesn't specify what time. And there have been instances where, for example, if the removal is on Tuesday, 14th of June, it's at a half past midnight. So it could be 30 minutes into 14th of June that they're going to be removed. When we spoke to Kai's, it was down to the line. But his team had a whole new argument, one that they thought they could win. See, many of these refugees are suffering from severe depression and post-traumatic stress, like Hamza. And Kai's had a medical report saying so to show the court. It states that they are not even fit to fly. So it's not even possible for them to be put on the plane to be sent to Rwanda. Bashir Mohammed is a reporter for Al Jazeera based in London. I've been mostly covering refugees and immigrant stories. Which means he's been covering this story and the UK's immigration policies for years. 
And he's following these cases particularly closely. These are people from different nationalities. They come all the way from Europe, you know, just across over the English Channel and arrived in the UK. So unfortunately, by the time when they were arriving in the UK, there was this law, the Border Act. And it's this new law that he says is to blame. The Border Act was passed by the UK Parliament, which allows the government to return or deport to another safe uh, third country. All those who get into the UK illegally. Before the law passed, there was an uproar. Celebrities like actor Riz Ahmed went to social media trying to get it stopped. They're saying that if you come here illegally, then you can't get settled. It doesn't matter if you are running for your life and trying to get out by any means necessary, which, by the way, most asylum seekers will have to cross borders illegally to save their lives and their families' lives. Totally undermines the whole principle of asylum that the whole world agreed upon after World War II. We'll get to the World War II part in a minute, but suffice to say, the law was not stopped. Today, the National Anti-Borders Bill has received royal assent in Parliament and is now law. That's Priti Patel, the UK's Home Secretary, announcing the Border Act, emphasizing how the law will allow the country to tackle illegal migration and criminal gangs. By offering tougher sentences for those who facilitate dangerous and illegal entry to the UK. And along with the law came this agreement with Rwanda. We've already announced the UK and Rwanda Migration and Economic Development Partnership. There could be thousands of migrants facing deportation to Rwanda in the months ahead, Bashir says. I spoke to around 15 of them who have been given the decision and they have been given also the ticket. What do they know about Rwanda? Except very few of them, the rest even doesn't know where Rwanda is located. Mostly are from Middle East and Asia. They will tell you that they just learned the name of Rwanda when they have been notified of the decision. Some of them have no idea of, is it a country maybe in West Africa or in Southern Africa? They have no idea. Until now, when they learned that they'll be taken to Rwanda. That's pretty hard to believe after coming all the way there, risking their lives to come to the UK, that they're now being rerouted to a place that they know nothing about. They have no choice. I mean, there are some I spoke to who say that they wish they would have been taken to their own countries. They're saying, look, okay, I want to go back to Syria or Afghanistan or wherever I came from. Like they, they just can't go back. I mean, they have to go to Rwanda. Yeah, they cannot just go back just for several reasons. One, they spent a lot of money just to put here in the UK. That's one. For them to go back, they will need another resources or money. Secondly, this, you know, happening in some of the countries, Syria or Iraq, there might be some sort of security challenge. It sounds like many of these refugees probably have legitimate refugee status claims. They're fleeing violence and persecution in their home countries. There are laws in Britain that are made to protect them and international law that protects refugees. So I guess if they've been sent to Rwanda, does that mean that nothing can be done? Yes. And given what, you know, this uh, right group organizations currently doing is to stop the faster flight because they're saying that, look, if these people are taken to Rwanda, they might not have eligibility for legal aid. So uh, several organizations here in the UK, including the UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, 
are trying their best they have challenged the home office at the high court in in the uk london just to challenge the government and to at least get injection to stop the first flights probably yes if they if they will be taken to rwanda that's it it's gone they will not have so many aid that will have been provided when they're here in the uk how does the British government justify this plan to export asylum-seeking refugees? The UK government has been all the time saying the aim is to stop the smugglers business here in the UK and between UK and French water. There's so many people, you know, who have been trying to cross over and they lost their life. That's the main arguments of the Home Office here in the UK. But probably some of the organizations who are now challenging the Home Office in the UK courts are saying that the reason is to take them to a country that's not in the UK because the government is spending a lot of money making them establish a life here in the UK. According to you know the local media here in the UK, it's spending around 1.5 billion in a pound, which is close to around two billion US dollar. So uh, there's no clear justification for that, but you can guess what many people you know are really attributing to. I also really, I want to talk to you about what Rwanda's plans are for these refugees. Because if you look here on the UN Development Program's website on Rwanda, it says that more than a third of the country is in poverty. Yeah. And that the per capita income in Rwanda is $718. So how is Rwanda planning on employing these refugees when they are having trouble finding jobs for the people that are from Rwanda. That is one of the arguments of these organizations who are challenging the Home Office. They're saying that, look, Rwanda is a country in Africa that is struggling to get a better opportunity for its people there. If there is cultural and language differences, it will be hard for them to get opportunities. And that, that's what many arguments is at the moment. The UK government is saying that they're investing nearly a 150 million US dollar to provide training programs for these people, to provide accommodation, uh, to provide some sort of health uh, services for these people. So some of the rights groups are saying that these people, if they have been taken to Rwanda, they may not have a sustainable life in Rwanda because the Rwandan government itself is struggling here. There's no clear plan of how this money will be spent and how these people will be dealt with. Will they be trained and returned back to their countries or will they be provided for jobs? It's some of the things that still not, you know, clear. You would think that they would already have all this plan worked out. Absolutely, yeah. I know that in 2018, a minister of state in the Rwandan government, he put out a statement that... Rwanda would never take African refugees who weren't coming voluntarily. Is this voluntary? It doesn't sound like it. It's happening now. This is not volunteer. People are saying that, look, don't take us to Rwanda. Instead, take us to our country. This is not a voluntarily repatriation. So uh, probably it's the other way around now, given, you know, what we have seen the agreement between the two countries have signed it, given the investment the UK government is putting on, on Rwanda to, to host these people. So absolutely, it's now, it's totally different now. And why is Rwanda agreeing to this? For that, we called up Michaela Rong, a British author who spent years researching the country. Rwanda is constantly looking for opportunities to make itself indispensable. And I think what it gets in return is very obvious. 
uh, there's a, a complete toning down and a whitewashing of Rwanda's image that takes place in the West when it delivers a useful service to a Western government. Paul Rusesa Bagina is a very high-profile example of what the Rwandan government does. Paul Rusesa Bagina, the former Hotel Rwanda manager, was lured onto a plane and he was renditioned back to Kigali and arrested on arrival. And then after what most people who watched it, including myself, regarded as a show trial, he was sentenced to 25 years in jail. This is a government that just simply will not tolerate any form of dissent, any form of challenge, any form of criticism on its own territory, and increasingly is reaching out into other countries to make it clear that just because you've left the country and started a new life abroad, that does not mean you won't be followed, you won't be tracked, and you won't be silenced. Last year, British officials were saying the Rwandan government really needs to do something about this track record it has of extrajudicial killings, of torture and detention, of enforced disappearances, and, and they produced some really tough statements. Uh, and the Rwandans were t- quite taken aback. And of course, since the deal on uh, refugee offshore processing has been announced, then suddenly Rwanda is being presented by Priti Patel and Boris Johnson as a haven of peace and security. Prince Charles, heir to the British throne, is also heading to Rwanda for the Commonwealth Heads of Government meeting on June 20th. He'll be the first member of the royal family to visit the country. But this new attention doesn't change the human rights situation or the poverty, Michaela says. They're extremely dependent on foreign aid. And there's been a certain amount of alarm in Rwanda because uh, Britain has been cutting back its aid, and not just to Rwanda, to most most of its recipients. It's the most densely populated country in Africa. After Mauritius. It already has 130,000 refugees, mostly Congolese and Burundians living on its soil. Is that really a place which is going to produce jobs? Most people in Rwanda work on their farms. There's a real shortage of land in Rwanda. Those people who are going to be sent from Britain, are they going to be given plots of land? There is no free land in Rwanda. So it's just such an inappropriate choice in so many ways. But it's not the first time Rwanda's made this choice. We saw something very similar being signed between Rwanda and Israel between 2014 and 2017. The terms of that deal were kept largely secret, but it seemed to involve young Eritreans who had tried to move to Israel and settle there being transported and being flown to both Entebbe in Uganda and also Kigali in Rwanda. It was another case of, you know, get these people off our land, out of sight, out of mind. Many of the refugees ended up victims of violence and extortion. Some ended up fleeing, even returning to their home countries. And there was a big uproar about Israel, of all countries, treating migrants in this way, given its own history. The UN's 1951 Refugee Convention that defined the standards applied to refugees around the world today was adopted as a result of the huge number of Jewish refugees after World War II. Overall, Michaela says, the Rwanda plan is not a good plan. I mean, it looks so racist, and it is racist as a policy. And now, as new Ukrainian refugees pour into the UK since the invasion of their country the British government's had a different reaction. Britain opened its homes and its hearts to the Ukrainian refugees and to be simultaneously unveiling 
a policy which meant that anyone who wasn't Ukrainian would end up being deported to Rwanda. It just seemed extraordinary. UN refugee chief Filippo Grandi goes even farther than that. We believe that this is all wrong. This is all wrong, this deal, for so many different reasons. At 8 p.m. Tuesday night, the plane was on the runway with passengers, refugees headed to Rwanda. Two of Kai's clients were about to board the plane. And then... For the time being, the clients have been removed from the plane and nobody's going to Rwanda. The European Human Rights Court issued a last-minute injunction, effectively grounding the plane. We caught Kai's on the phone at the train station on the way home after a busy week. And it's still only Tuesday. We just remembered what we're actually fighting for and who we're fighting for. So we pulled our socks and we just said we need to keep going. We're literally dealing with people's lives. My, my client's sister was calling me all the time, crying down the phone. So it just makes your heart break. And to now know that she can sleep tonight, it, it, it's a great feeling. It's an exhilarating feeling. For two weeks, none of Kai's clients will be flying to Rwanda. But it's not over yet. The larger fight, our larger aim is to abolish the whole policy so that nobody is removed ever to Rwanda. That is our main aim. But the fight goes on. Kai's has two weeks before the next phase of the case. And after six years, Hamza still sits in detention. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Ruby Zaman, Ney Alvarez, Nagin Oliayi, Alexandra Locke, and me, Natasha Del Toro, in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Our engagement producers are Aya Elmilek and Adam Abugad. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs>